Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Mimiverse Monthly Audiocast. I am your host, writer-director Christopher R. Mim, and I have to ask, are you there? Are you listening? Blah, 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 blah. I need to get going on this because I'm just super excited about all the things that are happening this month. Well, really, just the one big thing that's happening in this month is that we're finally, finally, finally getting back into a theater to have a world premiere of one of my movies, The Phantom Like Kids in the day the earth abruptly almost ended. The third Phantom Lake Kids movie and the first to actually have an in-theater premiere. The last time we did a premiere was in 2019 for Queen of Snakes. And of course we had one scheduled for April of 2020, but you know what happened to that one. So it's kind of exciting that we're doing this again, but I'm also nervous as hell because what if it doesn't work? I don't even know if I remember how to do this. I will say that it's not going to sell out and that's okay. Given the COVID numbers right now and some of the trends we're seeing, I'm not even going to sell all the seats, so it can't sell out. That said, advanced tickets are available and, you know, they're selling okay. I'm limiting it at half capacity and I have not reached that yet. I'll be surprised if we even reach that. It is what it is. And if I'm being straightforward with you right now, we're going to do this, but I'm not feeling good about doing future ones right now. I don't feel like a lot of people are comfortable going to the movies. I know a lot of people who aren't. I've gone to a few, but I'm very, very selective in what I go to. And maybe next year it'll be different. But as of right now, I'm, I'm just, I'm not feeling the most confidence when it comes to uh, doing live events. I'm feeling like not a lot of people are interested in going to most of the events I've done in the last few years. But again, we're still coming out of this stupid pandemic. Hell, we're still in this pandemic. So I don't know if making a decision on future events is really prudent right now. But I'll be straightforward with you. This might be the absolute last Mimiverse in-theater premiere at the Heights. Tickets are selling, but honestly, a portion of the tickets are being sold to people who aren't actually going to show up. And those folks who've done that, I really appreciate it because you've made it possible. We reached the minimum threshold to be able to hold the event, and that's awesome. But at the same time, there's still going to be a lot of open seats. And it's hard to get people to go to things during COVID. Like I said, I know of quite a few people who, before COVID, would have bought tickets the moment they went on sale. But it's still COVID, and there's still concerns, and and it is what it is. And I get that. I really do. But we're still doing it. I don't care if there's 40 people there. I don't care if there's 20 people there. I want to see this movie on the height screen, and I want to celebrate the kids who made these three movies that have kept us entertained throughout this rather ridiculous time. And I want to make sure that they get a little little bit of a proper celebration. It may be 50 people, which that theater is going to look kind of empty, but that's okay because I think right now we're at like 65 people. So, and that's people who I know 99% of them will show up. Again, we've sold tickets to folks from out of town who made it clear that, no, we're not going. We just want to help you have it. And you know what? I love you people. I love all of you who have done that. That's been really nice of you to, to help us make this a reality, knowing that you can't be there. That's really cool. It really is. And I appreciate the hell out of it. I just want you to know that. Because this is cool that we actually get to do this again. But of course, there's still expectations in my head and, and a part of me that is so used to selling out these events and packing that theater that it's going to be strange to do an event that's not 
even close to sold out. Again, I'm not even selling more than half the theater, right? But I'm nervous as hell about it now because it's like, oh my God, it's been three years. Do I even remember how to do this? I've been putting together the program of the movies and the trailers and the newsreels and stuff. And I was like, God, do I even remember how to do this? Because it's been so long. It's weird because, you know, the last couple of years feel like they're all one big year. So it doesn't feel like it's been that long, but it has. I mean, it was April of 2019. And here we are, it's July of 2022. And it's just weird. So, you know, I'm excited. I am, but also terrified at the same time to do a premiere. Granted, I suppose though, to a certain extent, there's no real pressure because it's paid for. We made the threshold to pay for it. I also got a lot of messages from folks who are just like, hey, if we don't reach it, I'll pay the difference just to make it happen. And, and you guys are the best. During these weird times in which we live, it's really nice to know that there are people out there who want to make good things like this happen. I appreciate the hell out of you people. So we reached the threshold. It's happening and it's going to be, it's going to be interesting and fun. I hope it's strange. I, I waffle between wishing I could sell the damn thing out. So it felt like an old school premiere and not having that many people in there so that I make sure that everybody's safe and no one gets COVID by going to the premiere. So I sort of waffle between wanting 240 people in there and then only wanting eight people in there, you know? So we'll see what happens, but it's happening and it's going to be fun for those of you that will be able to attend. It's going to be a good time, I promise. And it'll just be a little slice of the past brought forward into the COVID age. I just can't wait for you guys to see this movie. It really is a big movie that should be seen on the big screen. And I say that about all my movies, but it's true. There's something I absolutely miss about just going to the movies and showing my movies on the big screen. I mean, I make movies to be seen at a movie theater or at a drive-in. I don't make movies because I want to watch crap on TV. I miss the movie-going experience as it existed pre-COVID. I miss that as something to do. That was always my something to do. You know, everybody has hobbies. They have things they like to do to unwind. Some people go to the bar. Some people like to go see bands or they just go to the lake and fish, right? They have things they like to do that is their downtime happy place. And mine was always and, and still is the movies, but it's not the same anymore because there's still that weird feeling in the back of your head that going to the movies, being around people I don't know, I might get sick. And no one knows what getting sick with this might mean. It might feel like a cold and you'll be fine, or it'll be something horrible that'll stick with you for months and months, and you'll lose IQ points, which honestly scares the shit out of me. So, I mean, it sucks that the one thing that I always found solace in, sitting in a darkened movie theater, watching a movie, has kind of been tainted by this, right? And I know a lot of things have. I mean, going to the bar is tainted by this. Not that I go to bars, but I don't drink. But for people, that's their thing. There's this weird added risk to it. And it sucks. <laughs> I hate it. I just wish I could go to the movie and not have to worry about it for a couple days afterwards that the guy a couple seats over who coughed a few times wasn't spreading around COVID. And I know we're all sick of it. I am so sick of it. But it is the reality in which we live, but it's difficult to deal with because, again, that was my thing. Going to the movies. Steph and I, we'd go to the movies all the time. That was always our standard date. And that's how I knew that Steph and I would actually work was that 
She never minded that we could always just go to dinner and a movie. For me, that's fine. I honestly don't need more than that. And she was the same. She was like, no, man, let's go to the movies. Let's see five movies today, which we, we did that. We did movie marathons where we went to the multiplex and just went from theater to theater to theater to theater to theater. We paid for each one. We never snuck around into stealing movies just because we're honest people, I guess. Didn't want to get in trouble and be barred from the movie theater. That sounds horrible for a person who loves the movies. But that was how I knew. It was like, this girl works. She liked going to the movies and it didn't matter what we saw. And so the fact that it's been more difficult to really go to a movie theater has been challenging, to say the least, because I don't really want to do much of anything else. I've seen a few concerts. I like going to concerts. But even that, uh, you know, I'm very selective in, in what I do. We try to do outdoor things. We've, we've hit a few concerts in the park. We've hit a few drive-ins. But I just miss sitting in a darkened theater watching a movie with a big crowd and just feeling relaxed. That's what's been taken, is that feeling of just being relaxed. I'm not that relaxed when I go to the theater now. But still, I got to do it when I can. And there are some movies that you just have to experience in a theater, like The Phantom Like Kids in The Day the Earth Abruptly Almost Ended. And it's going to be fun. It's going to be a good time. I don't know that we're going to end up with the nice big photo of the big line out the door, but that's okay. I just want people to watch my movie in a theater again. And I want to share this moment with folks like yourself, if you're going to be there. And looking at the guest list, it's a lot of people that I haven't seen in years because of COVID. There's some hardcore longtime fans who are going to be there that I'm just excited to see because I haven't. I haven't even talked to some of these folks, and it'll be nice to have them back enjoying this movie. You know, the Family Kids movies in particular are definitely made more for the hardcore fans than not. And so it's good to see that a big chunk of the people who are coming are people I know who are big fans that are going to get all the in-jokes and have a good time. And, and so that's good. It's going to be good. I'm just really nervous now, you know? It doesn't really matter that it won't be full. I mean, there's a part of me that really wishes it could be, but it just can't, and that's okay. The kids are very thrilled to be able to do another premiere. They're so excited to see themselves on the big screen at the Heights and to see a Phantom Like Kids movie at the Heights because we haven't. And they've made three of these damn things. And finally, they get to see one. And this one is so goofy and so weird and so ridiculous. And I think it has, honestly, one of the best climaxes of any movie I've ever made. Sometimes I feel like my movies lack quality climaxes. It's almost like it's too short or like there's all this lead up and then just not enough happens. This one has one of the longest, most exciting I keep saying exciting. One of the, the longest, most fun climaxes of any movie I've ever made. And it's really funny and it's stupid in the best ways. And, you know, I say that often. I say it's stupid in a good way. It's just, it's the Phantom of My Kids movies are very campy and they're meant to be funny, but also sort of dumb in a Three Stooges kind of way. And this movie definitely ends in that way where there's just a big climax that, I mean, literally a big climax that I want to watch people watch. I want to watch people and listen to the laughs and the groans and the just everything that comes with this. And I, I can't wait. But I'm also nervous, and we're just weeks away from it now. So, ugh, fingers crossed. All of that said, if you are interested in joining us, 
advanced tickets are still available and I am capping it. I'm not going to sell any at the door unless I don't reach the halfway point in advanced tickets, which I don't know if we will or not. But the only way to guarantee that you'll be able to go is if you buy an advanced ticket or five or two or a dozen, whatever it takes. But you have to buy them at SaintEuphoria.com. Buy advanced tickets to make sure you get in because once we reach that 120 threshold, there will be no more tickets. And I should say, if you have ordered advanced tickets, pay attention to your mailbox because I have mailed out the collector's tickets. See, here's the thing. If you're newer to this and, and have never been to one of the premieres or wasn't aware of this, ever since Cave Women on Mars, which is movie number three, and this is movie number 17, not including the musical or the holiday special, this is feature number 17, Ever since the third one, we've had collector's tickets, and they're individually numbered, these cool little printed cardboard tickets with an image on them and a number and a date and a world premiere, admit one, all that. Those have been sent out to people who buy advanced tickets. They've become kind of a, a collector's item, and I don't know that there's anybody out there who has one from every single one except me and my family members, but those collector's tickets are in the mail. But for everyone who has purchased advanced tickets so far, your collector's tickets are in the mail and should be in your hands very quickly. If you haven't purchased advanced tickets, but you do now, you will get one or however many you order and you have to bring it to get in. And here's what adds to the value of the collector ticket is if you show up, you get your ticket stamped on the back and that proves that you were at the event. So not only is it individually numbered, thus making it a collector's item, but you can then get it stamped on the back, proving you actually went to that event. So it becomes worth even more. And I should say this, if you are a person who can't make it, but really would like one of these collector's tickets, if you order advanced tickets, whether or not you show up, you'll get a collector's ticket or however many you order. And sure, it won't have the stamp because you won't be there, but these are very rare, very limited collectibles. And this one is the most exclusive of all because there's only 120 tickets being made. I mean, Giant Spider, there were like 400 and some tickets, so those are less rare. This one, there's only 120 tickets and a good half of them are spoken for. Jump on it right here and now and get your collector's tickets, even if you can't go. I know it seems strange, the idea that you would throw money at something that you can't actually attend, but you do get something out of it. Not only would you buying advanced tickets help us to throw the event and keep the Mimiverse alive, but you would get a collectible out of it that for 15 bucks, it's a very rare collectible that maybe over time will become worth a lot more. Can you imagine having a collector's ticket from every single event since Cave Women on Mars. I think you could probably find a way to acquire them, but they're rare as hell. And so now's your chance to get one, especially to one that might be the last. Because as time is going on, it's getting harder and harder to do events. It's getting harder to hold in-person screenings like this because it doesn't seem like the market is necessarily there for it anymore, which is sad, but it's just a evolution of things. People seem to expect just to watch things at home now. And I get that. I don't go to the theater to see everything now. I, I pick and choose only sort of the special stuff that I feel like I have to see in a theater. And I feel like things are just going that way. Everything's going the streaming, watch it from home route. 
And it kind of sucks because it takes away the collective experience of going to a movie, but it is what it is and you can't fight it. So this honestly might be the last. For as much as that sucks, I think that's just the way of it. And maybe next year, once we finish Annihilate All Humans, which I'm going to talk about here in a sec, maybe we'll do a live event. I don't know if it'll be at the Heights. It may be something different. It just, it depends. I mean, if there's one thing we've learned in the last couple of years is that nothing is for certain and nothing lasts forever. Things change, people die, movie universes break down. <laughs> you don't know, is my point. So I would say this, if you've ever been like, I should go to one of his premieres, now might be your best potentially last chance to do it. I just, I don't know. I don't know what the future holds. So please join us if you can. There are still some tickets available for the Phantom Lake Kids in the day the Earth abruptly almost ended world premiere at the Heights Theater in Columbia Heights, Minnesota, July 27th, 2022. Doors are at 6.30. Movie starts at 7.30. It's going to be a good time, I promise. You're going to have fun. And we're going to do everything we can to make sure it's as safe as humanly possible. So if you can join us, please join us. Buy tickets at sentyphoria.com. In other news, Annihilate All Humans, the next Mimaverse movie, is currently shooting. We have been filming for about a month. We don't have a lot of it shot, but that's okay. The schedule for shooting this one has been a little, a little weird. We've been working around a lot of people's work schedules, and one of the actors, Tyler Haynes, who you guys know as Agar from Demon with the Atomic Brain, and the Doctor from The Beast Walks Among Us with the greatest accent ever, which we make fun of all the time. Deputy has. No one knows what that accent is, and Tyler and I laugh about it all the time. Tyler had a play he was in, so I mean, we've been, I've been shooting when I can and what I can. That's fine, actually. The way the, the script is and the way I work, we don't have to be shooting constantly. We've been shooting whatever we can, whenever we can, once, twice a week. And I'm getting the footage I need. And a lot of this movie is special effects. And I'm just waiting on some stuff from Mitch Gonzalez to get the alien masks together. And once we have that, I can shoot a whole bunch of stuff. This is still kind of early in the process. It's funny. In the past, I didn't even start shooting till like September, October and then would still be able to release a movie by May of the following year. Here we're in July, and I have plenty of time to shoot everything I need, so I'm not particularly worried. We're getting there. We're moving. We're still shooting stuff, and that's what matters, is that we're shooting stuff. So we're moving. We're getting it done. So I'm working on that. That's the big thing going on beyond the premiere, and of course, that's another thing, is that I've still been putting the finishing touches on the latest movie and authoring the DVDs and the Blu-rays and getting all that taken care of and getting everything set up for the premiere. I mean, there's been a lot of stuff that goes into doing an event like that, but then I have to get the DVD done. I had to get the Blu-rays done. I had to, there's just all this stuff that has to be done. I have to get the program together. I have to mail everything out to people who pre-ordered the DVD or contributed in our old stuff. It takes time and money and effort to do all that. So I'm finishing one movie while working on the other, which is not how I normally work. I usually have one finished before I jump into the next one. So the way we're shooting when we can, like I said, around people's schedules is working really nicely with then also having time to get the day the earth abruptly almost ended all set up and ready to go. And I'm almost there. 
all I really have left to do is packaging up all of the swag for contributors. I got everything printed. I got the contributor certificates to all those folks out there who contributed. And I got the tickets made and I got posters made. And, and now it's just a matter of I got to package all that stuff up for those folks who aren't going to be at the premiere to pick up their stuff. And then that goes in the mail. And then I have the Vimeo version all set and ready to go, which I originally thought that I would do like a in-theater premiere and then a few days later do like a big digital premiere. But I don't have the time or energy to do both. And honestly, I'm not even sure of the technology that would be best to do like a digital premiere that people pay for. And I don't have the time and honestly patience to figure it out. But also I figure we're doing a live in-theater premiere. That's the premiere. And the digital release will be on July 30th, which is Christopher R. Mim Day in Forest Lake, because that's when I got the key to the city back in 2015. When we showed Danny Johnson Saves the World at the now gone Lake 5 Theater in Forest Lake, the uh, guy who runs it, a guy named Chris Costello, arranged to have the mayor show up and give me the key to the city, which is still probably one of the absolutely coolest things that's ever happened to me. And they declared July 30th to be Christopher R. Mim Day in Forest Lake. So since I'm releasing the new movie on the 27th and the 30th is just a few days later, that's when it will become available on Vimeo for people to watch. So that's really the digital release date is the 30th, which is a Saturday. That also then gives people who come to the premiere a couple extra days to have been like, I, I saw it already. I've seen it before you because I don't even mail out contributor swag until the day of the premiere, sometimes the day after, so that people who go to the premiere have a jump on everyone else. They're like, I saw it before you did. And then the contributors get it within the next few days to a week, depending on, or a couple weeks if you're in Australia. And then the worldwide digital release will then happen on the 30th. Anyway, so we're shooting this new movie, Annihilate All Humans, with Jim Norgard and Mike Cook reprising Dr. Gabriel and Dr. Edwards, and you got uh, Mark Hader in that, and he's General Castle, he's back, and playing probably the biggest role he's ever played as General Castle in any one of these movies, and he's terrifyingly hilarious, is the way we describe him in this movie. And then also, Tyler Haynes is back as the character Agar, which is the same character he played in Demon, so there's your link to previous Mimiverse films. It's coming together. We haven't shot a lot of it, but I'm really liking what we've gotten so far. And we're just going to keep banging away at it. I mean, it's, it's still very early in the process. And it's not a Phantom Light Kids movie where I can just control the kids' schedules completely and be like, hey, I know it's summer, but we're shooting today. You know, <laughs> that was the one thing about shooting with the Phantom Light Kids that was different than previous films is that the kids all live here and they had nothing else to do. So it was like, let's go shoot a movie. And so we would shoot everything over the course of the summer and be done with it by the end of the summer. This movie, we won't be finished probably until I would say September or October, maybe even November, depending. Then that's fine. The way the, the script is written, it works really nicely to shoot it over time. And that's part of the reason I did that was to make it a little more COVID safe in that way, in that we can shoot a scene and then wait a week to make sure no one got sick, <laughs> which you kind of have to do given the age in which we live. So that's what's going on in the Mimiverse. We got the big premiere and you should show up if you can. Buy tickets at sentyouphoria.com. That's July 27th, 2022. The Phantom of Kids and the Day of the Earth abruptly almost ended. The final Phantom of Kids movie. 
and really a celebration of all of them. You should join us if you can. There's still tickets available, but it's capped at half and we've sold more than half of the half. So if you don't buy tickets soon, you may not be able to get in. And then there's a really, really good chance there will be none at the door because once we reach 120, we're done. And if we do it in advance tickets, then there will be none at the door. Annihilate All Humans is coming together. And of course, I have to mention it. The Mimiverse is made possible only by viewers like you. All of my films are funded by contributors. And it's only like 20 bucks to get your name in the credits. And you can pre-order DVDs and Blu-rays, and you can really do anything you want with your credits. Well, within reason. I have rejected some credits that were overly political and stupid, and really I just didn't want to deal with it. But as long as it's just like your name or your dog or whatever, you can generally get anything in there. Contributor credits, honestly, honestly, 100%, are what keeps the Mimiverse alive. It's the only thing right now that really is keeping the Mimiverse alive. Without contributors like yourself, the movies cease to exist. So I want to thank all of you who continue to contribute to keep my movie universe alive. Because without you, it won't exist. Sales of DVDs and Blu-rays are not that high anymore because people don't buy physical media the way they once did. It's just the reality of it. And it is very, very, very difficult somewhat next to impossible to make any real money on streaming, which sucks for creators because it just makes life really difficult to keep something like the Mimiverse alive. So the model has shifted from making a movie and then making your budget back on sales to sort of a preemptive approach where people contribute to the production. And that's where the majority of the funds come from to keep it alive. And after it's out, it's almost like I'm just giving it away because it's like, well, I made it and it's done. Here you go. Moving on to the next thing because that's just the model now. It's just kind of the way it is. And that's fine. It's slowly been shifting that way for years anyway. So I guess I just want to say thank you so much for contributing. And if you haven't or if, if you want to or if you want to give more, please contribute to Annihilate All Humans. This is going to be a really fun movie with lots of special effects and flying saucer action and aliens and quote-unquote science. It's a really funny script, but not funny in the same way that the Family Kids movies are. The Family Kids movies are supposed to be kind of stupid. As I always say, they're kind of stupid, but in a really fun way, in a Three Stooges kind of way, in a ridiculous kind of way. This one is actually more situationally funny, and really the humor comes from doctors gabriel and edwards being stuck working with general castle and agar and it's it's a good script and i'm really proud of how it turned out and i'm really enjoying how it's coming together and i'm really having a good time working with mike and jim and 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 mark and and tyler again because for the last few years i've only really been able to work with my kids which i love my kids dearly don't get me wrong and it's been really nice to be able to spend that time with them doing something creative during especially the scarier times but it's really nice to get back to working with other adults who I'm not related to. Because <laughs> I haven't done that in quite a few years, so it's been cool to get back to it. So please, contribute. Keep it alive. Help us keep making cheesy movies. Because I love them and I don't want to stop. So please, contribute if you can at SaintEuphoria.com. Keep watching the movies and keep sharing them and keep doing what you're doing. Now we're going to get into the latest edition of an oral history of the Mimiverse. But before I do, I want to mention one thing about the new movie we're shooting now. If you want to get into the movie, 
And I don't mean like, I'm getting into this, this is fun. I mean, actually see your face in the movie. There is an opportunity for you to do that. And I'm not going to describe the whole process here, but I did mention this in previous episodes that if you want to get into the movie, there is a way. If you want to know how and what you need to do, which it's really not a big deal and it's not a lot of work and it'd be fun, I'm sure, to see yourself in one of these movies. I mean, you like my movies enough to listen to this stupid audio cast. This is your chance to see yourself in the movie. If you want information about how you can do that, you need to go to the Mimiverse Monthly Newsletter, July 2022 edition. Now, you can get that at sainteuphoria.com. If you're on the mobile site, which is the one that looks good on your phone, in the menu, there's a link for the Mimiverse Monthly, and you just got to click on that, and it'll take you, and you can find it. If you're on the desktop site, right near the top, there is a drop-down list of newsletters, and all you have to do is pick July 2022, and it'll pop right up. In there, it describes exactly what you need to do to get into the movie. It just requires you shooting something on your phone or on your camera, if you have one, and sending it to me. That's it. What I need and what you need to do is all described there in detail. So go there, check it out, read it, and happy filming. Come to see The Phantom Lake Kids in the Day the Earth Abruptly Almost Ended at the Heights Theater, July 27th, 2022. Tickets are available at sainteuphoria.com. Contribute to annihilate all humans while we make that to make sure it gets finished. And then film yourself and end up in the movie. But you got to go to the Mimiverse Monthly July 2022 newsletter to figure out exactly what you need to do. Okay, let's go now to the latest edition of An Oral History of the Mimiverse. So on last month's edition of An Oral History of the Mimiverse, I was talking about making Attack of the Moon Zombies. And I stopped before I got to its release. And I did that because as I was talking about it, I realized there were things that happened between the finishing of it and its release that required some additional information and stories. Mainly, this is when the Mimiverse becomes one with Esperanto. See, the Esperanto thing was never originally my idea. When I wrote Attack of the Moon Zombies, the idea was always that it would take place in this nebulous period of the late 70s, early 80s, as seen from a 50s perspective of the Mimiverse, right? It was always going to take place in the future on this moon base. Late 50s, early 60s, the space race was really heating up, and so the idea of people going to the moon was a big thing, and I wanted to do something with that. But then also... I was trying to think of movies that I could shoot in my basement because after doing Terror from Beneath the Earth, I realized how easy that was to shoot movies that just took place in my basement. And then I never had to go anywhere and I could just do it all in in one spot. And actually, when I shot The Unseen Invasion, that was one of the easiest things ever because we just had to like go downstairs and shoot as opposed to driving an hour to get somewhere to shoot for half an hour and then drive an hour back. So I wrote Attack of the Moon Zombies, of course, thinking, oh, well, what's the big deal about having to build a dozen sets? It's a pretty big deal, let's be honest. But I set it in the 70s because I was sort of going for that 70s sci-fi thing a little bit. While I was making it and we were building sets and we were talking about it, there was a guy named Rylan Bachman. 
And he got involved in the Mimiverse around a destination outer space. I don't know how he heard about the movies or what, but he had contacted me about contributing not just money as a contributor, but then also helping out to make movies. He even got involved in Destination where he showed up as the alien guard at the door of the bar and he was just kind of hanging around and helping out. He was helping build sets and he brought up one time, I don't remember exactly how or when, but he brought up the idea of having signage in the moon base be in English and Esperanto. And his logic behind it was that back in the 50s, Forrest J. Ackerman, who was the mastermind behind Famous Monsters of Filmland and and, and a cult figure amongst horror fans and old sci-fi fans and monster movies in particular, he was a big proponent of Esperanto. He was a big fan of it. And Esperanto is a fake language. I guess it's not fake. People speak it, so it's a real language, but it's a man-made language. It's not one that evolved naturally. A guy in early 1900s invented this easy-to-learn, very stripped-down language. And the idea was that you take out all the flowery language. You don't have 400 words for beautiful. You just have one. And so the idea behind it was that if everybody could learn it, it could be used for diplomacy because there would be no interpretation errors. Everyone could learn it and speak it and say exactly what they mean. And so from a diplomatic perspective, we could all be on the same page. World peace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he created this language called Esperanto, which sounds vaguely like Italian. And it sort of caught on but it never became what he intended it to be. And it still exists and lives to this day as a thing. And it has thousands and thousands of people who learn and speak it around the world. And what I've learned through the many years of being exposed to the language and people who speak it, it seems to be one of those things that appeals mostly to, and I'm saying this nicely, I don't mean this in a mean way, language nerds. People who really, really enjoy learning languages tend to jump on to Esperanto. And the people that I met personally in the Esperanto community are always highly intelligent and impressively polyglottal. It's usually like, oh yeah, I speak English and Esperanto and German, Korean, Swahili, a little Russian. I mean, it's just like, what? I can barely speak English well. And I've tried learning other languages over the years and I suck at it. I just, I can't seem to pick up spoken languages for whatever reason. But these folks are the types who just pick them up like nobody's business. And Esperanto tends to be one of those things that they flock to. And there's also a a tie-in to the Unitarian Universalist Church, strangely. You know, the Unitarians tend to be very peace-minded. And the idea behind Esperanto was to be a a diplomatic language for peace. So it makes some sense. Anyway, Esperanto is one of those things that has been floating around under the surface for years and years, like over a century now. Again, Forrest Ackerman was a big proponent. And so Ryland suggested the idea. He said, you know, what do you think about, because this is supposed to be the future on an international moon base, 
as seen from a 50s perspective, what do you think about doing all the signage in both English and Esperanto? There's a little tip of the hat to the idea that they had, especially in the 50s, where it was like, you know, it'll be the language of peace and everyone will have it and it'll just make sense. And sort of giving a little credence to that within the Mimiverse. And I was like, sounds good to me. It was a good idea and I was going to jump on it. So I did. I was like, oh, that's great. So do you, you speak Esperanto? You know, and he's like, no. <laughs> So I'm like, all right. So he put the idea in my head. And of course, then I had to make it happen. And so I, I started looking around online for Esperanto speakers and groups who could simply translate a few things because there was only so many signs that needed to be translated. And I think really there's only one in the movie that actually has Esperanto on it. And it's like the welcome sign. And I was just looking around for someone who could translate it accurately because I didn't want to use Google Translate. And even then, I don't even know if that was an option at the time. It probably was, but I didn't even think of that. I was just trying to find Esperanto speakers. And I found a group here in Minnesota and I contacted them and, and they didn't really get back to me. And then when they did, it was like, sure, send us what you want. And then I did. And then they never got back to me. Eventually I found a guy in California named George Baker. I was like, Hey, I'm doing this thing, making these cheesy movies. And we talked about the movie Incubus, which is a William Shatner movie from the sixties that was done entirely in Esperanto because some enterprising filmmaker was like, there's a lot of people in the world who speak Esperanto. And there's no entertainment made for those people, but there's money to be made. What if I made this cheesy horror movie called Incubus starring this William Shatner guy all in Esperanto and they made it and it's terrible. William Shatner does a terrible job of pronouncing the Esperanto and it's generally known as a as a blight on the Esperanto community, although it has its fans. But I was talking to George Baker about my movie and that I just, I had some signage that I wanted translated accurately. And he was like, sure, send it to me. I was like, oh, okay, cool. So I sent it to him and he came back to me and he said, hey, have you ever thought about maybe doing like a subtitle track for the DVD of the movie in Esperanto? And I was like, no, I never once considered that. He's like, well, I'm part of a group of people around the world who love challenges like this, where we can translate things in Esperanto. Would you be willing to let us translate it to do a subtitle track? And I was like, of course, that sounds great. So I sent him the script and off he went and gathered a group of like-minded folks. And they started working on translating the script, which was really cool. And I sort of forgot about it at that point. And I figured I'd come back to it later. Once the movie was done and I'd entered the DVD authoring stage because you don't need subtitles while you're filming a movie. Now, somewhere shortly thereafter, maybe a few weeks later, after he had asked if they could do a subtitle track, he got back to me again and said, I've been talking to the group and we're all really having a good time translating this. There have been a lot of spirited discussions back and forth about what the best way to translate some of your words into Esperanto, because like I said, there aren't 400 words for beautiful. There's one. And so there's times where it's like you have to take what I'm writing and boil it down to its barest essence, but you have to make sure you get the right intention behind a line. Obviously, if the line is like, no, I don't know, that's a lot easier. But if it's something that requires a little bit of interpretation, there's going to be a lot more that goes into that. And, and I guess they were having a lot of fun trying to boil it down to its barest essence. So the same point got across. And they started discussing the idea of like, well, if this is just a subtitle track, wouldn't it be fun if there was an audio track of Esperanto? And the group decided that that sounded like a great idea. And so he pitched it to me, he said, hey, 
Once we translate it, how would you feel about all of us recording the lines that we translate and then you put it in as an audio track? And I was like, I love that. Let's do that. Because it was like, what did I have to lose at that point? And I was like, yeah, let's do that. Let's, let's do that. He's like, yeah, we'll just record everything and we'll send the audio files to you and you can just put it in. And I was all about it. I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. Yay, we're going to have an Esperanto subtitle and audio track. Let's go. And so they set about to do it. Now, they worked on this for like the six months while we shot the movie. And finally, once I reached the point where the movie's done and I'm working on the DVD authoring, I'm like, if you really want to do this, I need your audio files. And George got them all to me. And that's when I realized how much of a pain in the ass it was going to be to put all that stuff in. I had never done an alternate language track before, and I didn't speak a lick of the language, and I really kind of don't. I recognize it now because of all the times I did this particular job of replacing the audio, but the first time was horrible because <laughs> I had to constantly go back and forth line by line and be like, okay, what is this line? This is the English one. This is the Esperanto one. Now I need to find the file. I need to find the reading. I need to put it in there. Each person recorded their audio at home on different recording methods. Some people's stuff sounded good. Some sounded terrible. And so I had to do as much as I could to try and balance it but then also make it fit in with the English. But also bear in mind that none of these folks who are recording their audio have seen the movie. They don't know what it is. They're going strictly off the script and they're doing it in Esperanto on top of that. And I'm not there directing them. So they're guessing what the actor is doing or how they would interpret the script. And so a lot of this stuff isn't matching. And we learned another valuable lesson during that first one, which is that the length of time speaking in Esperanto was sometimes longer than the English or shorter. You'd end up with these things where Doug Sidney's character, Dr. Collins, would be talking and his line would be something like, are you sure that's what you think it is? You know, that's not a line from the movie, but that's just an example. Are you sure that's what you think it is? And the Esperanto would be like two words. Doug's mouth's moving and then it's like two words, like three syllables. Or... There'd be this long line in English that'd be like a full sentence. And then in Esperanto, it ends up taking three times as long to say. And so suddenly no one's lips are moving, but they're still talking. And so it was like the most frustrating thing ever to embed this language into the audio track. So I'd have to go back to each scene and mute the English audio and bring in new tracks for each Esperanto speaker, EQ them and do all this stuff to make them sound as good as I possibly could. Make sure they're all roughly at the same level and still sound like they fit in with the sound effects and the ambience and all that stuff. And it was just a pain in the butt and it took so long to do one scene after the next again because i didn't have any kind of familiarity with the language at that time by the time i did like beast walks among us i knew it pretty damn well that i didn't even have to look at the script half the time i knew enough of the language just from doing this that i could just sort of drop it in this time though it was tedious as hell and i talked about in last month's episode about how the shoot for moon zombies dragged on and on and on and it took a really long time to shoot. So I already felt like I was behind schedule. 
because I was set on making sure that I released this movie in May because that's what I did and I had to stick to it even though it's an arbitrary deadline that I set but I needed that deadline because I had to release the movie in May so I could start working on whatever was next as soon as possible afterwards. So I was just like suddenly I'd come off this long long shoot that was exhausting only to then take on basically a whole new big project to get the DVD done. And so I ended up spending like weeks and weeks every single night, eight hours a night working on the Esperanto, trying to get it to work and none of it worked. And I don't mean that it's like, I'm saying like, it just didn't work for me. I'm saying like half the time I was trying to fit way too much dialogue in to a scene that just didn't match up. And you'd have Doug's character talking and Doug on screen stops talking and Shannon's character starts talking, but Doug's Esperanto character is still talking. So it's like I had to do all this stuff to make it work and it's terrible. The final result is awful. And so I spent all that time doing it and I got it finally together and it was like good enough because <laughs> I was I was losing it at this point. I had to author the DVD and it was just like all this work to get it done. And at the time... I was using an online DVD manufacturer and there was like a long turnaround time to get your stuff back. Once I got the DVD authored, you'd have to like send them a disc and then they'd check it. And if it worked, there wasn't any issues they could see, then they would start manufacturing it. But you were looking at four to six weeks before they would do it and then send it back to you. And so I always had to make sure that I got it done before the premiere, but there was a four to six week gap there. So I had to be done by April, right? Or there would be no way I'd ever get the DVDs in time for the premiere. And doing this Esperanto was just making me crazy because <laughs> it was so tedious and it just never matched up. And they did a great job. I mean, these folks who did the Esperanto, they did the best with what they had and they did a great job. And we just, none of us knew at the time that these kind of issues would come up. So I finally finished the Esperanto stuff and it's terrible. And I don't mean their stuff. I mean, just how poorly it matched up. And I have to get on the authoring of the DVD. And I've been working on that at the same time. Couldn't just do the Esperanto stuff because it was driving me insane. And there were times when I needed a break. And I finally got the authoring together and what drove me nuts was that I was running out of time and I got to the point where I'm like, I don't have time to even do the Esperanto subtitles, which was the original thing they proposed and then turned into the audio. And I was like, I have the audio. I don't have the subtitles and I just don't have time to get it done because at that time I did subtitles differently than I do them now. Now I, I do them much quicker. I found a way to make it a lot faster. And at that time, I, I would have been like a cut and paste, cut and paste. And it was just, it was going to take me another week just to do the subtitles. And I had two days. And what's worse, I have this deadline of like, I have to get this done. It has to be in the mail by this particular Friday. And here's the thing. This Friday that it needs to be sent off to the manufacturer, I was leaving to go to a convention in Nebraska. And my whole family was going to go with me. I was a guest at this convention in Lincoln. And this had been set for a while. And I figured I'd have the Moon Zombie stuff done before we left. But it was like coming down to it. See, that's another thing. Is like I probably could have had that weekend to get stuff done. But I didn't because I had to leave. So in the last two weeks, I worked 10 hours every day just trying to finish this stuff because I was up against it. And the worst part 
is that when you get down to the end of the authoring phase for the physical media, you have to render the disc, burn it, and then watch it to make sure everything worked. You have to error check it because the last thing you want to do is send out a a DVD or a Blu-ray that's all buggy and doesn't work. Like a good example of that is just recently with the Blu-ray for The Day the Earth Abruptly Almost Ended, like one little thing got messed up at the very end and I was so mad because we were so close and then I had to basically go back and redo it. And when I say redo it, you have to watch everything and test every menu and make sure every button works or else you have to go back and re-render, re-burn, re-watch everything because you have to make sure everything on that disc works and with the most recent one the the family kids and the day the earth abruptly almost ended the dvd was done but the blu-ray was i was down to checking it and i checked all the special features on it and i watched the movie and everything was fine except when you go to the setup menu and you turn on the subtitles it worked but when you turn them off it wouldn't turn off and that's a big flaw and I'd spent hours going through the disc and getting everything right. And I had to go back and redo that one thing and then start over, watch everything again. And we ended up having to do that like five times, six times. And it drives you nuts. <laughs> so I was at this point with Moon Zombies where I was running out of time because I had to get it in the mail. And this is before you could just upload everything. Now you can just upload everything so you don't have to mail it. But you'd have to mail a physical disc to them to replicate I had two weeks to go and I was at this point where like I, I was clamoring to get everything done and I was working nonstop to the point that one day I woke up covered in hives from the stress. Like I was driving myself crazy to the point of having allergic reactions to myself. And I had to take Benadryl, which of course makes you tired. So I was like tired all the time, but I had to take it to not be itchy and, and freaking out. It drove me crazy. I mean, it always happens a couple times. It's never perfect the first time when you do the render, burn, watch. There's always mistakes. And I know now where to start to sort of make my life a little easier. Otherwise, you have to watch the movie 400 times, which is fine, because then I can check for last minute errors or whatever, which sometimes found those like, oh, my God, I never noticed that there's like an airplane in that or something. You know, it just it happens. So I was in that stage of like I'd have to burn things. And then on top of that... That same week, my computer, like DVD burner started acting weird and started like failing. And so I'd start losing time just for drive failures. And so I ended up going out and like buying an external drive just so that it would work. And it was just a pain in the butt in the worst way. I mean, it was just like, good God. Like I said, to the point I started getting hives. Finally, the night before we were supposed to head to Lincoln, and I got to the point where I was like, okay, maybe I'm just going to have to accept that I won't be able to get this in time for the premiere. Or I may have to pay a couple hundred dollars more to rush it, which I didn't want to do, but I was feeling like I was just going to have to. The day before we left to go to Lincoln, it worked. I finished it and breathed the biggest sigh of relief. And I packaged it all up and I was like, we'll just drop it off at the post office on the way out of town. So the next day, I was so happy. It's done. Moon Zombies is ready to go. All of the stress is leaving my body. I think the convention started at like two or three in the afternoon. So we were leaving early. So I'm up at like seven in the morning and I'm like taking a shower. We're going to be in the car all day. But when I get there, I'm going to have to be on and perform for people. I'm in the shower and suddenly... 
the door opens and Steph is freaking out. And I'm like, what, what's wrong? She's like, something happened. I'm like, what is happening? Why is everyone freaking out? And suddenly I can hear like my son, Dan is crying and my son, Elliot is freaking out. And I'm like, what? And Elliot's like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I'm like, what happened? And Steph's like, I don't know. Elliot threw something at Dan and it cut his eyebrow and it's bleeding all over the place. And I think we need to take him in for stitches. And I'm like, oh, what? Come on. We need to go. She's like, I know. And I'm like, God, okay, okay. Let me finish up. So I quick finish my shower and I get out and Elliot's freaking out because he thinks he's in big trouble because he cut his brother's eyebrow. So what happened was, and this isn't really movie related, but it kind of is because of the stress of trying to get this damn event after this crazy two week period of trying to get this stupid thing together. And even then still not getting the Esperanto subtitles in there because I ran out of time. He had taken a slap bracelet. Remember those slap bracelets? And he just tossed it to Dan because Dan wanted it. And it hit him in the eyebrow on its side and it cut him because inside those slap bracelets are old tape measures, metal tape measures, like chunks of a tape measure. And the little like fabric covering over this old tape measure had ripped away and the sharp ass metal edge hit him just right in the eyebrow to like slice it. And of course, any wounds on your face bleed like hell. And so Dan wasn't even freaked out. Like it didn't really hurt him. It just freaked him out because Elliot freaked out. And Dan always, especially at that age in 2011, I mean, Dan was only like five. He adored Elliot. He's, he's always been like his favorite. They were peas in a pod. The moment Dan came to live with us, he and Elliot just, they were bros. And I swear to God, like Elliot thought he was in so much trouble because he just cut his brother's face and he didn't mean to, and he didn't want to get in trouble and he's freaking out. And so Dan's freaking out because he's freaking out and Steph's trying to calm everyone. And I'm just trying to take a shower because we got to go. And like David's like a baby, right? This is 2011 and Alice is only like three and it's just pure chaos while I'm just trying to take a shower after finally feeling relaxed again. <laughs> and it's like, God dang it. So we get everybody ready and we took Dan to get stitches and I had to call the convention. I'm like, I won't be able to make it there till later because my kid needs stitches, but we'll get there. And they're like, no worries. <laughs> this shit happens. You know, take care of your family. And I'm like, yeah, we'll, we'll be there as soon as we can get there. <laughs> it's just the most ridiculous thing. And it was like, oh, it just seems about par for the course. And we get there and actually had a really great time. Like that convention was really fun. And the people were super nice and the rest is history. But God, that was the most insane couple weeks. I've never in my life gotten hives from stress other than that time. I mean, I was just so stressed and under the gun. It was like, I would get up, I would work all day. I'd go to bed, I'd get up, I'd work all day. And I just, it felt like I wasn't making any damn progress because of that goddamn Esperanto. But that same group of people ended up doing an Esperanto track on every movie after up through Beast Walks Among Us, but not including Where Skeeto, which there's a whole story about that that I'll talk about when we get to Where Skeeto. But it was cool. I mean, it really added a, a nice, different angle to things. It helped to raise the global profile of my films, surprisingly. Because of it, my movies have now screened in some pretty weird places, like Poland and Denmark and, you know, they do these Esperanto Congress things. It's like a worldwide convention for Esperanto and it's in a different country every year. 
and they showed a couple of my movies at a couple of them. So it was it was pretty cool. The people who who did it were very nice, and I got to meet some of them, and they're all very nice people. But yeah, that all came right out of Attack of the Moon Zombies. Then we did our premiere, and it was a good premiere. It was a good time, and it was it was very well received, and and all of that pain and suffering and was worth it in the end for one of the movies I think is one of my better ones. It's definitely the best of the original six, and it's the last one I shot in standard definition. So it was the last one I shot with my Panasonic DVX 100. I definitely think it's a good one. It's like I said, it was the beginning of the blockbuster era of Mimiverse films, and I like it. I think it holds up. There's things about it I might have done differently now in editing and, and maybe took some stuff out to tighten it up a little bit, but I think it's a solid film. I think everybody in it is really good. There's just a lot of great performances. All the stress was worth it, and I'm glad it turned out the way it did. I still, to this day, strangely enough, even though given the time I've had to get it done and I haven't, there still is no Attack of the Moon Zombies Esperanto subtitle track. You can still hear the Esperanto voice track on the Blu-rays and all modern releases of it, but there still is no subtitle track, which part of me is just doing it out of spite at this point, just because of all the stress it gave me back then. <laughs> but if you ever want to check out how poorly <laughs> the Esperanto audio track matches with the English you can actually watch it on the Mimiverse Roku channel. I've added like three or four Esperanto language versions of some of the movies, and I will eventually add them all. I just haven't yet. But if you want, you can totally check it out. But <laughs> it's pretty bad. But hey, it was a learning experience, and it stressed me out to the point I got hives. So all in all, good times, right? All right, so I think this is a good spot to end for this month. Next month, we get into House of Ghosts. This has been... Another edition of An Oral History of the Mimiverse. Stephen D. Sullivan and St. Euphoria present... Atomic Tales, stories of science, mystery, and excitement. This episode features the latest installment in our fantastic original series, Strange Invaders. Tonight, Agents 1 and 13 investigate mysterious disappearances in a Las Vegas suburb in Invisible Invader. Join us now as we present another in our continuing series of Atomic Tales. I'm happy to fly you out here to Vegas, Ray, or anywhere else. Agent 13, Lucky Lucy Ryan, told me as we walked through the half-finished Nevada resort looking for our contact. But why is Agent 2 off testing the Bureau's new P-51 while I'm here pounding the pavement? I was the one that encountered that souped-up Thunderbird after all, which is what convinced the Terragons we needed armed aircraft in the first place. I nodded because when a lady is right, she's right. All true, Agent 13, but rank has its privileges, and one of those is getting first crack at the new toys. She frowned. I'd have a higher rank if 13 wasn't my lucky number, Agent 1. Also true, but still not higher than Agent 2. 
Besides, from what I hear, Agent Zero is requisitioning more than just one Mustang for the agency. They'll probably saddle me with a flying boxcar, or support missions like in the war. She grumbled. This isn't the Air Force, Lucy, I reassured her. You'll be up in the clouds shooting down mutant birds before you know it. And maybe a flying saucer or two, I hope. She grinned. Hey, that must be the guy we're looking for up ahead. Sure enough, Thirteen's keen eyes had picked up the figure of a short, wiry man with curly black hair prowling the green space between the little cabins of Tule Springs Hacienda. He was wearing jeans and a white t-shirt and carrying a switched-off flashlight, like us, in preparation against the gathering darkness. Matches the description. I raised my voice and called, Mr. Margolin. The man turned toward us, and a broad smile broke across his tanned face. He extended a slim-fingered hand. That's my name. Don't wear it out. Angel Margolin. Pleased to make your acquaintance. The three of us shook. I'm Agent Raymond, and this is Agent Lucille with the U.S. Science Bureau. We're here because you reported a number of pets had gone missing. You bet. Strangest thing. I'm glad somebody's here to help. Police are too busy to take the time, I guess. Me a taxpayer and everything. Stuff like this can ruin a man's cash flow, you dig? And you are the developer of this subdivision? I asked. Subdivision? Margolin scoffed. This here is a ranch. Hacienda, I call it. Because there's already a Tooley Springs ranch, dig? And I own every blessed acre. This here is a place where folks can come and establish residency so they can get divorced. You know it's easy to get divorced in Nevada, right? I'd have to get married first. Thirteen said with a wink. Which I'm not planning anytime soon. Margolin grinned and pretended to slug her in the arm. Play in the field, eh? <laughs> I get it. But some people aren't so smart. They dive in over their heads, if you get what I mean, and then old Angel is here to help them out. And a third lesson the ranch across the street. Tell your friends. I will if it comes up, I replied. So people staying at your hacienda are losing their pets? Exactly. Margolin nodded vigorously. Little Spot is out watering our finely cultivated bushes one minute, and the next... He clapped his hands. Vanished into thin air. Like I said... Bad for business. Have you seen anything unusual? Any lights in the sky? Thirteen asked. Margolin's eyes narrowed. You're not one of those radio cult wackadoos, are you? That starlight broad on the AM band? I used to like her when she talked about those space brothers, but now? We're strictly science, I assured him through clenched teeth. I'd forgotten that Sister Starlight had somehow gotten out of jail and restarted her flim-flam on Las Vegas radio. So you haven't seen anything. <laughs> How can you see something disappear? But I'll tell you what, a lot of dogs and cats are gone. And not just for my pigeons, our residents. It's hurting my sales pitch. You find out what's up, you'll be doing me a good turn. I'll give you half off your first stay here. His toothy smile beamed at us in the Nevada twilight. Better look around before it gets too dark, Ray. Thirteen suggested. I nodded my agreement. Give a shout if you need us, Mr. Marklin. Oh, I will. Gotta do the round myself tonight. Security guard called in sick. He turned on his flashlight and meandered off into the gathering darkness. I took a breath of the warm late September air. It should have been dry, Vegas being in the Mojave Desert, but the resinous odor of palm trees, the soft scent of aloe, the sweet of out-of-place honeysuckle, and even the earthy green of freshly mown grass filled the air. How can they keep all this watered? Thirteen wondered, her gaze lingering on the parched grass. I shrugged. Too much money and not enough sense. 
As night fell, we scouted the small resort's outskirts, keeping our eyes on the surrounding hills and the dark shadows clinging to the native bracken growing there. We may be wasting our time here, Ray. Thirteen opined. This guy's problem is probably coyotes, or maybe a mountain lion snatching up vacationers' animals. What do you think? Could be, though some visitors, I mean Hacienda residents, claimed their pets vanished right before their eyes. A lot of magic acts in Vegas, Ray. A lot of drinking, too. Yeah, maybe. I paused between two adobe-walled cabins. Do you hear that? Thirteen stopped and listened, then nodded. A strange, twittering chirp echoed through the still nighttime air. Not those damn ants of yours, is it? I shook my head, suppressing a shiver at the thought. Nightbird of some kind? Weird crickets? Not frogs in the desert, surely. Probably not that bunny, either. I said, indicating a black-tailed jackrabbit sneaking out of a nearby bush. We smiled as the cottontail scooted toward another copse of honeysuckle and then... vanished. Thirteen's jaw dropped. What the? I think something around the corner of that cabin snatched it. Come on! I led the way at a sprint with Thirteen right behind. That was so quick I barely saw it. Me too, I agreed. What can move that fast and grab a jackrabbit mid-stride? Thirteen shook her head as we rounded the corner. She played her flashlight everywhere, but... Nothing! Lucy, on the roof! My warning came too late, as something I could barely see snaked around Thirteen's neck and lifted her off the ground. Help! She managed to gasp, clutching at her throat, her feet kicking the air. Twin Colt 45s instantly sprang into my hands and I fired at an indistinct shape lurking on the rooftop above her. My first shot shattered a piece of the cabin's Spanish tile, but the second must have hit home, because something gave a chittering squeal and Lucy fell to the ground. Thirteen cursed, but drew her weapons and fired, even as I got off another couple of rounds. What the hell? Blasted things invisible! Just well camouflaged, I noted. Both of us let loose another volley, as the thing scrambled across the lawn and ran up the side of the next cabin over. Lucy, did you get it? I don't know! A sudden scream from the next building over told us that we hadn't finished the job. We dashed to the source of the clamor and found Angel Margolin struggling against an adobe and tile-colored man-sized lizard. As we brought our automatics to bear, the creature sank its teeth into the hacienda owner's shoulder. Margolin screamed again and passed out. But even as he did, the monster's pigment began to shift, adapting to its surroundings. It turned its glowing goggle eyes toward Thirteen and me and hissed. That toothy display didn't stop Lucy and me from blowing it to hell. We both had close quarters combat training and knew how to hit an enemy in melee with a friend. As I pulled the carcass off of Margolin, Lucy stooped to check his vitals. He'll be okay, but we need to get him to a hospital. She eyed the huge lizard's remains. What are we going to say attacked him? Big monitor lizard or alligator, I replied. Must have escaped from a local collector or something. And what do you think it really is? Some kind of mutant gecko. Crawls up walls like a spider, blends in like a chameleon, snags its prey in the blink of an eye with a long sticky tongue like a giant frog. All things considered, a deadly piece of work. The tarragons are going to want to have a look at this. I nodded. At least it's not disintegrating. We'll stash the body and come back for it after we drop Margolin at the emergency room. Help me get him to the Studebaker. As we bent to carry the victim to our agency car, that strange chirping trill filled the night air once more. Both of us froze. We better call for backup, I said. Spider squadron nearby? I think they're still busy with the ants. National Guard or regular army will have to do. Agent 13 grinned. Geckos eat insects, don't they? 
Maybe if the agency can snare a couple of these buttes, they can help us with our bug problem. This has been an original story of Strange Invaders, part of our ongoing series of Atomic Tales. Brought to you by St. Euphoria Productions. Tonight's episode, Invisible Invader, was written by Stephen D. Sullivan. It was produced, edited, and read by Christopher R. Mim, who also plays Agent 1, and featured Kifley Scott as Agent 13, Lucky Lucy Ryan, and Steve Sullivan as Angel Margolin. We're excited to announce that Atomic Tales is now available online and streaming via The Fantasy Network at thefantasynetwork.com. Be sure to tune in next month for more Atomic Tales. Please support the films of Christopher R. Mim at SaintEuphoria.com and the work of Stephen D. Sullivan via his Patreon at PaySteve.com. Join the conversation at the Monster Conservancy at SaveMonsters.com. All elements of this episode are copyright 2022 by their creators and may not be reproduced or reused without permission. Atomic Tales and Strange Invaders are trademarks of Stephen D. Sullivan, all rights reserved. This is the Saint Euphoria Audiocast Network. Thank you so much for listening to the Mimiverse Monthly Audiocast. I appreciate you. Again, it's folks like you, contributors like you, who keep the Mimiverse alive. So if you can, please contribute to Annihilate All Humans and keep the Mimiverse alive. If you can join us for the July 27th world premiere of The Family Kids and the Day the Earth Abruptly Almost Ended, please do so. And even if you can't, you just want to get one of those cool collector's tickets. Buy an advance ticket at SaintEuphoria.com and join us or don't, but you'll get a ticket either way. So totally get one if you're a person who likes cool individually numbered collectibles that you can only get right now. Once the event happens, you'll never be able to buy those tickets ever again, ever in the rest of time. So for eternity... So get yours now if you're someone who wants a really cool, unique piece of Mimiverse history. Not to mention, this might be the last premiere. This might be the last whatever, because you never know what the future holds. So please, contribute to Annihilate All Humans. Come to the premiere, or at least buy a ticket, or whatever you want to do. And again, a huge thanks goes out to all those folks out there who can't attend but bought tickets to make it possible. You guys are the best. And next month, I'll make sure to tell you how it went. In the meantime, though, like I always say, be good. But if you can't do that, be good at it. Talk to you next month. (laughs) 